Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. I warned you earlier we will be uh, reading the whole chapter, actually, and then some, uh, but uh, we're not asking you to stand in exchange for that. Um, Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my, mother, or, um, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near his, uh, to Isaac his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers that your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone. Who blesses you? As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. 
He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate uh, it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named, named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling. And away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. Stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then down verse 6 of chapter 28, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to, to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that, he, that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, for Your grace and mercy as we sit under, learn from, and hopefully by You, by Your Word, are changed by this, the very Word of God to us. Teach us and grow us, we pray, through Christ we ask it. Amen. Um, I know that was a lot to read, but the whole chapter matters. The Sunday school curriculum, if you were to, to grab probably most any Sunday school curriculum on this chapter, the focus of chapter 27 uh, would be on Jacob's great deception, on him lying to his father, and no doubt the, 
the message of the Sunday school class would be something like, see how Jacob lied and, and cheated and stole uh, from his, his parents, his father and his, his brother, so, so don't lie, cheat, or steal. That would be, the, no doubt, the heart of the, the message of the Sunday school class. Um, th- that's not enough. I say that's not enough in part because Jacob is not the only sinner in this passage. Jacob's not the only one um, guilty of, of committing really vile sin against God and each other in this passage. Everyone is guilty. There's no one in the family that's not guilty. And in fact, the message... It's bigger than don't lie, cheat, or steal. This chapter gives us really a glimpse uh, into the interaction of one of the most dysfunctional families in the history of, of the world, and certainly in Scripture. Not the most. They're one of the most. Uh, we know that Jacob and his sons are going to have as many problems as these do. We know that David and his sons are going to have as many problems or more than these do. But for a family of four, it's as dysfunctional as they come. So I want to do this actually as sort of a series of character sketches in the life of a dysfunctional family. Notice the guilt, first of all, of the entire family. I can't remember. I went back and tried to dig around a little bit. I tried to go back the last few chapters, um, I tried to look ahead a little bit. I can only find one time when all four members of this family are in the same room at the same time. And that's assuming that Isaac is present for the birth of the twins. Since the twins have been born, since Jacob and Esau were born, There's not a time that I can find, and it's certainly never in this passage, there's never a time when all four members of the family are in the same room at the same time. In fact, in this passage, you never have more than two in a room together at any given moment. That's evidence of division, of separation, of the inability to to get along inside of this house. You can almost picture Isaac sitting in the den and his... Big, comfy, overstuffed armchair, calling in Isaac. His eyes are gone. His, his, his eyes his sight has faded. He calls in Esau and, hey Esau, come here and I want to bless you. So go kill some, some, uh, some game. Go make some of that venison stew that I love so much. And I will uh, bless you. Um, Rebecca, you almost get the sense, is in the kitchen. She hears all of this, and you know, they just don't make tent walls like they used to. So she, she grabs Jacob and says, Jacob, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Quick, go get some goods. And so she sort of orchestrates it that way. Uh, there's a point at which Jacob is in the den with his father. There's a point at which Esau is in the den with his father again. Never do you ever see all four of them in the same room at the same time. There are obvious reasons for this, right? I mean, we, we know why this is true. Turn back to chapter 25. And let me just show you um, verse 28. 
at the end of, of Genesis 25, uh, the, the boys have been born, and here you get this, this one sentence, uh, Genesis 25, 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, Rebekah loved Jacob. Parents, if you want to foster division in your house, pick favorites and take sides. This is, this is rooted in their... I mean, since they were born, from the, they've grown up. Esau is a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. And his dad says, I love Esau. Rebecca says, I love Jacob. And so you can see the, the basis, the foundation for all of this dysfunctionality grounded in parents choosing favorites and taking sides. The very next event, at the end of chapter 25, Esau comes in hungry and, and he begs for some stew. And Jacob says, hey, here's a chance for me to cheat him out of his birthright. And so I'll give you some food if you'll sell it to me for your, your birthright. I mean, you, you give me your birthright, I'll give you food. There's the deal. And so there's just this separation and division and dysfunction that event hangs over their heads for the rest of their lives. You have the, a glimpse of a truly dysfunctional family. But as guilty as they are as a family, they're also each individually guilty in this passage. Notice all the things that Esau uh, does wrong in Genesis 27. I, I suppose... I suppose there's a chance that Isaac doesn't know that Esau sold his birthright. I suppose it's possible that their dad doesn't know that. Although the way Esau says it in later towards the end of chapter 27, you get the sense Isaac knew all along. Like that doesn't sound like new news to him. But it is possible. Let's grant him the benefit of the doubt. He certainly knew of God's promise. God's command given from before their birth, the older will serve the younger. Esau, the firstborn, will serve Jacob, his younger brother. He knew of, of God's command, of God's choosing, God's sovereign choice of Jacob even before they were born. Malachi tells us that. Romans tells us that. And yet Isaac wants to bless Esau anyway. You notice in verse 1, he's lost his sight. And in verse 4, he seems to think uh, that he's going to be dying soon. Oddly enough, he lives for at least another 20 years. Uh, maybe even as many as 40 more. He lives a long time. It just sort of shows you you really don't know the day of your death. Esau's, I mean, Isaac is convinced, um, Esau is, con Isaac's convinced, sorry, that he's going to die, um, and yet uh, he lives at least another 20 years. Esau's his favorite. Esau's the one Isaac wants to bless. Who cares what God says? Who cares what God's will is? Who cares what God has commanded us to do? That's what Isaac says in this passage. 
I don't really care about God's will. I care about my will. And I don't really care about what, what God wants. I care what I want. In fact, notice, why is Esau his favorite? It's because he fixes a mean venison stew. The whole reason, we were told that back in Genesis 25, he loved, Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because of the food he could make him. And notice the number of times in this passage. Go and make some stew such as I love. Rebecca knows how to make the food such as he loves. And so he comes in with the food such as Isaac loved. Isaac only cares about his stomach. He only cares about himself. His preference for his older son is grounded in what his older son can do for him because of this great, delicious meal he fixes. It's all about himself. Isaac sends him hunting. He said, go make some of this venison stew that I love and I will bless you. There's always food associated with uh, this this blessing, it, it should have been a, a ceremony, it should have been a, a fairly public event, a feast, uh, would not have been uncommon. But notice, Isaac's doing this on the side. He's doing it privately. Something that should have been public, something that should have been celebrated, something that should have had witnesses. Isaac says, hey Esau, just slip into this, slip into the back room. Why don't you step into my office? The dark, smoke-filled room in the back of the building. We'll do this there. Pretty sure that's not the place to be conducting business. Think of all the times we set aside God's clearly given divine commands just so that we can carry out our personal preferences. Just so we can do what we want. The times we, we say, well, you know, God, I know that you've said this. I know that you've said don't lie, but quite honestly, I kind of need to right now. I know you've said don't commit adultery, but I mean, I kind of like her. I know you said don't cheat or steal or don't drag the names of your neighbors through the mud, but you don't understand I've got to get ahead in this business and so I've kind of got to drag His name through the mud so that I look good. All the times we take God's clearly given commands and set them aside to do what we want to do, to accomplish our own purposes, our own right. And the quieter and more secretive, the better. Isaac is just, I think I said Esau at the beginning, I meant Isaac. I knew that was going to cause me trouble at some point. Isaac is as guilty as anyone else in this passage. Then you have Rebecca, the eavesdropping wife. She didn't overhear. She was listening. See, it's one thing to be in the kitchen cooking supper and overhear a conversation in the den. It's something completely different when we're told verse Five, Rebecca was listening. Isaac says, Hey Esau, come here. 
Rebecca, you almost get the sense, runs over to the tent flap and kind of leans against the... You can hear through tent. It's not like a wall. And listens in on the conversation. It wasn't an accident. She's eavesdropping. She's, she's listening to hear the conversation. And for all the, the blame that you and I so quickly put on Jacob... For all the blame and guilt we heap on the Sunday school curriculum heaps on Jacob, it was all Rebecca's idea. She had it all figured out. So much so that when Jacob actually raises an objection, she goes, You leave it to me. I've got that. I've already thought of that. I'm way ahead of you. I've got it all planned. I've got it all solved. I have it sorted. There's no trouble. Whatsoever. From verses 5 to 13, she's the one talking. She's the one initiating all of this. It would be, it'd be easy. It'd be tempting for us to give her the benefit of the doubt, right? It would be really tempting for us to go, but hold on, Jeff, hold on. Don't be so quick. She also knows God's promise that Jacob is supposed to serve Esau. This is her way of of bringing that about. I mean, let's at least grant her that what she really wants is for God's Word to be fulfilled. That's her great and highest aim in all of this. Let's, Let's grant her that. But when does accomplishing God's Word ever give us license to toss out God's Word? When does it give us license to be to lie and cheat and steal and, and, and to carry out God's will through ungodly means. The whole aim is God's will will be accomplished through God's ways. We don't get to say, well, I'm accomplishing His purposes through Satan's aims, intents. or The ends don't justify the means. Since I'm trying to accomplish what God said to accomplish, it doesn't matter what means I use, right? There's no excuse for setting aside God's will, God's ways for accomplishing God's will. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Uh, Don't deceive your husband. Uh, Isaac is supposed to be Rebecca's one flesh partner, those are all biblical truths that she decides don't matter right now. We can set those things aside for the purpose of accomplishing this other goal. The family is so messed up that Rebecca can't walk into the den where her husband sits alone in his big, cushy, comfy armchair and have a civil conversation about carrying out God's clearly given commands. She should have been able to walk in there and say, Isaac, I heard what you said, and you know that's wrong. You know as well as I do that that's not God's clearly given commands we, we really shouldn't do this. Let, let's make sure we set this right and do what God said to do, and that is 
Jacob is supposed to be the one that's blessed. It's, it's through Jacob that the promised seed of the woman, that line will continue. They've been married for at least 60 years. We would love, every one of us, would love to be able to celebrate a 60th anniversary. They've been married for at least 60 years. So messed up, so dysfunctional, that that what should have been a more united front than ever is as divided as ever. You kind of have to make the side application right here, don't you? Married couples, fix some tea, pour a cup of coffee, sit down and talk. It's it's really, we're one flesh, it's your one flesh partner forever till death do us part. We should be aiming for greater unity. And for that matter, don't keep secrets. Deception is deadly to a marriage. And Rebecca is spearheading the deception from the start. She's got it all figured out. She has. She has. Okay, she's not. Probably not the wife you want. I mean, this kind of deception, this kind of planning and plotting. But she, you might want her to lead your army. You might want her to sort of plot the, the takeover of the wicked nation or whatever. I mean, if you're going to have to have an army invade some foreign country, you might want her, because uh, she thought of everything. Let's put her in charge. She's got it all figured out. Skins. We can cover the smooth part of your skin, your hands, your neck. You'll wear Esau's clothes. We'll get clothes from his closet. You can put it. You'll smell like him. You'll feel like him. You'll look like him, quite honestly, except for you know what skin face is exposed. She really has thought of everything. Every danger. Uh, that they were about to encounter, she is well aware of. So much so that in verse 13, she can look at her son and say, if he finds out and curses you instead of blessing you, let that curse be on me. I'll take your curse. Rebecca is every bit as guilty as anyone else in this passage. Notice Jacob's guilt. Jacob's first mistake is listening to his mother. Okay, hold on. There's some kids in the room that just got really excited. There's some grown-ups in the room that got really nervous. Scripture puts, tells children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. That's, that's a clearly given command of God. You have one exception. They also, children, your parents are under authority. They're under God's authority. And if your parents tell you to do something that God has clearly forbidden, you look at your parent in the eye and say, I can't do that. Because God tells me I can't do that. I know you're my mom. I know you're my dad. But what you're asking me to do is a clear violation of God's will. I cannot is it better for me to obey man than God? That was the question the apostles asked in, in Acts, right? 
You tell me to stop preaching God's Word, I have to obey God. And His command is to preach His Word. I can't obey you and Him at the same time. I have to choose to obey Him. Children, if your parents ask you to do something contrary to God's Word, you have the right, the responsibility to tell them no. Jacob's first mistake was listening to his mom. His first mistake was saying, okay, uh, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do what you say. And then you see this interaction, verses 18 to 25, between Jacob and his father. And three times he outright lies to his dad. Verse 19, hey dad, I'm in here. Who are you, my son? Oh, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Lie number one. Verse 20, he claims to have been out hunting. How did you find the game so quickly? Well, God granted me success. He's allowing his dad to believe he actually went out hunting. Lie number two. Verse 24, the voice is... Oh, there. Verse 24, he said, Are you really my son Esau? I am. Outright lie number two. Three. And if you're gonna if you're gonna throw out the ninth commandment, you might as well throw out the third commandment too, because notice in verse 20, he attributes the speed of the hunt, the success, to the blessing of Yahweh. It's it's your God, the Lord your God has granted me success in this hunting trip. That is, that is clearly taking God's name in vain. Um, you, you realize that the third commandment goes beyond a curse word connected to the name of God. That, that's not, in our minds, that's like, well, that's all the only violation of the third commandment there is. The, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is required in the third commandment? And the answer uh, comes back, what is required in the third commandment? Uh, The third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. When you call a creature, like a cow, holy, you're violating the third commandment. He's attributing to God's blessing that which never actually happened. And if you're going to throw out the ninth commandment and the third commandment in the midst of breaking the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. How honoring is it to your father to pretend to be your brother so that you can get that which your brother is supposed to be getting from your father. But God says his father is not supposed to be giving that to your brother. You see the confusion. Jacob throws out commandment after commandment. In this whole scene. You might go, well, well, hold on, wait a minute. He hesitates back in verse 11. So clearly he understands something, right? You see back in verse 11, he, he balks a little bit. His mom says, look, here's what we're going to do. And he goes, whoa, 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 hold on, time out. But notice why he hesitates. He doesn't ever say, mom, I don't think this is right. He says, what if I get caught? His greatest fear is not breaking God's commandments. It's being cursed 
instead of blessed. So yeah, he hesitated, but he hesitated because he was afraid he would get caught. Isaac had his doubts. Jacob is there in the room with him. He uses the senses he has. He can't see. He can hear and he recognizes the voice to be that of Jacob. Verse 22. Smell, touch, taste, they all point to Esau. And throughout the whole interaction, throughout the whole conversation, Jacob maintains his lying, cheating persona. You might wonder, so, so what does Jacob get for all of that? I mean, lying, cheating, stealing, third commandment, fifth commandment, ninth commandment, I mean, this should be good, right? Pop some popcorn, he's going to get it good. What's Jacob going to get for all of his lying and cheating and stealing? I'll tell you what he gets. He gets blessing. He gets the promise of, of place, of, of land. He gets the promise of posterity, your children after you. It's a, it's a permanent blessing. Verses 28 and 29. He gets the, the promise of, of protection. Let those who curse you be cursed. Those who bless you be blessed. He gets the promise of, of the blessing of plenty. The the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. He also gets the blessing of authority over his siblings and everyone else after him. Isaac's guilty, Rebecca's guilty, Jacob's guilty. Esau is the one person you might feel sorry for. Esau is the one in the whole account that you might think to yourself, I mean, of all people, I kind of feel most sorry for Esau because he gets cheated again. This is the second time he's gotten swindled out of something. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy. Is he that clueless? Does he not have any idea what's going on? But notice the crying boy in this passage is at least 40 maybe even as old as 70. I mean, you literally, at the end of the passage, you literally have this image of Esau stomping the ground and crying and gritting his teeth and waving and shaking his body. Can't I have a blessing too, Daddy? How come I don't get a blessing? There's got to be something. And he's at least a 40-year-old adult. Maybe even as old as 70 by this time. No one likes a whining, pouting, grown man. But, but he's guilty too. Look back to the end of chapter 26, something we essentially ignored last week when we preached that chapter because we knew we could connect it this week. The end of the last couple of verses of chapter 26, when Esau was 40 years old, there it is, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, uh, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Esau married Canaanites. He married foreigners. He made, married those outside of the household of God. 
command of Scripture, believers only marry other believers. And he's marrying these Canaanite women, these worshiping other gods. Oh, and by the way, he married a couple of them. He's a polygamist. And intermarrying with unbelievers, with outsiders. And we're told specifically, these wives of his made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Oh, and at the end of it all, this is why we read those random verses in chapter 28. You notice at the end of the account, uh, Esau sort of comes to the realization, I shouldn't have married those Canaanite women. That made my parents unhappy. They've sent Jacob back to Laban to, to marry a relative, someone in the family, in the household of God, so to speak. I probably should, should marry one of them too. To make my parents happy, of course. So he married an Ishmaelite. Wrong line. Still an outsider. I mean, it's closer, a closer outsider. But still an outsider. Wrong family. The wrong line of promise. You're in the wrong place. And he does it. We're told in those verses in chapter 28 just to gain his parents' favor. Maybe if I do this, maybe I'll make them happy. Three wives, three outsiders, three foreigners, three that are the wrong woman. Maybe this will make my parents happy. Esau's end is the exact opposite of Jacob's He gets a curse, not a blessing, outside, away from all these great and wonderful things that Jacob is going to have. And with that, Esau, at the end of the passage, "Ah, there's another commandment we can throw out. I'll kill my brother. My dad's going to die. When he does, I'll go kill my brother, and then it'll all be mine anyway, and none of it really matters. It's no big deal. I'll just take his life. But I won't do it when my dad's alive, because that would bring him grief. I'll wait for him to die. Then I'll kill my brother and everything will be back where I want it to be. Talk about a dysfunctional family. There's absolutely nothing about this family or any of them individually that makes you want to invite them over for a dinner party. There's absolutely nothing about these people that would commend them to you. And there's certainly nothing about these people that would commend them to God. Which leads you to a question, right? If they're all so guilty, if they're all so unworthy, if they're all that hideous, if they're all that willing to completely throw out the Ten Commandments, why does God bless any of them? Isn't that the question? Are you really going to look at this family and go, because I'm so much better? Because I don't break God's commandments? Because I don't take the Ten Commandments and go, well, I mean, I keep most of them most of the time. Are you really going to look down on this family and go, what? but of course God shouldn't bless any of them, but me, I mean, I'm so much better than they are. 
Or, or would you look at the family and go, well, if God can bless them of all people, sweet, I'm in good because I'm so much better than they are. That's the whole point of the passage. We were told before they were born that in God's sovereign election and predestination, He chose Jacob over Esau. Now we, we want to... The whole idea of sovereignty in salvation, the whole idea of God's sovereign election, predestination, if anything, that makes us bristle a little bit. It's in the Bible. It's a biblical doctrine. It's biblical truth. And, and it's reaffirmed for us about these two in particular later on in Malachi and in Romans that God chose Jacob even before the boys were born, before they ever had a chance to do anything good to gain God's favor, God set His affections on Jacob. There's absolutely nothing about them that makes them worthy of God's favor. That's the gospel. There's nothing in us at all. We're all guilty. We all sin daily in thought, word, and deed. There's nothing in us that would commend us to God. And yet, we found His favor. You want to hear something? The blessing Isaac gives Jacob in verses 28 and 29, it actually comes true. Did you know that? There'll be a time when, in David's reign when Edom, those are Esau's descendants, so the nation of Edom, when you're reading through the Bible, you run across Edom in the Old Testament, the Edomites, those are Esau's people, those are, those are his descendants. There's a time in David's reign when Edom will be subject to, uh, to David, to Israel. But the greater descendant, the greater David, the greater promised seed of the woman, Jesus. There's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In that moment, at that time, in that day, Esau's descendants will be subject to Jacob's descendant, Jesus. We long for that day to come. His descendants are coming into the household of God even now. This promised blessing is coming true not because of Jacob, but because of Jesus. Your hope is not in your goodness, not in your I'm better than that family-ness. Your hope is in the grace of God through Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your grace uh, given to us, poured out on us, uh, not because of our rightness or righteousness or obedience or faithfulness or goodness, not because of anything in us, but because of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation, we're shown in this passage and we know to be true in our own lives. Salvation is all of Your grace. Father, we pray 
that you would grow us in our gratefulness, our thankfulness for that salvation. A higher view of Christ, a, a more biblical, accurate view of ourselves, and that we would long for the day when Christ returns and when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this promised blessing from Isaac to his son Jacob will finally and fully and completely and ultimately come true. Would you give us glimpses of that even in this life? As unbelievers, those outside the faith bow their knee in humble submission to Christ for their salvation. It's in the name of Christ we ask it all. Amen.